All right, I'd like to introduce our speaker for today, Jonathan. Hi, everybody. Um, okay, so I was good with what I was going to share on, but you said conference approved. So I don't, I don't know if that includes the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or not. Okay, it does. All right, great. All right. So as I said, I am Jonathan. I am a compulsive reader, and I think that, as a friend of mine used to say many years ago, that may be the most important thing I can say at this meeting, to remember that I am that person. Uh, because uh, even though I was heavily in alcohol and drugs, uh, I started doing that when I was uh, young, but I was compulsive overeating for probably five years old, all the way to, you know, maybe uh, 50, uh, I want to say 56 or so, 55, when I came back to the program for the third time. Anyway, so uh, uh, I am a compulsive reader to the maximum extent possible. Um, the only difference between me and the 500-pounder is that uh, I didn't <clears throat> stay out there that long yet. And I stress yet because uh, that could definitely be me. And, uh, uh, and the way I ate and all the other compulsive habits I had, you know, ultimately got me to a place where I was dying of this disease. So I, I was brought up and raised in uh, California, uh, the Los Angeles area, multiple areas. Good loving parents. My mom uh, had a nervous breakdown a year after I was born, and uh, her mother died when she was nine uh, from cancer, and her, her sister, four years older, became a very intense person. My mother became kind of a relatively weak person, if you will, from the standpoint that she just... Um, I don't know if she could stand up for herself very well or anything like that. And uh, and it took her seven years to get pregnant, and then uh, she had me. And the year after I was born, she had that nervous breakdown. And uh, when I looked at her, um, I, as a young child, of course, I, I interpreted things in my own way and limited capacity, despite whatever my father would say. He'd say, uh, son, be nice to your mom. But that that didn't register a whole lot to me, and uh, and it's hard for me to understand that with other people. But I had a very warped image of women growing up because of that. And uh, you know, if you were a pretty woman, it meant that you were stupid in my mind. And and if you were sweet, like my mom was, and she was drop dead gorgeous, like Elizabeth Taylor, gorgeous. And so between that and being and being sweet meant you were really weak. I mean, I just had this horrible image of women and. All the other prejudices that you could grow up with in a household. I mean, my, my grandfather on my father's side, the black people were referred to as the N-word no matter what. And all the other prejudices going on, you know, I'm Jewish, but, you know, educationally are all other kinds of prejudices and discrimination. So, you know, I ate to get through all of that stuff. I ate to get through the fear of what was going on with my, my parents and whether they're going to stay together or not. And... Uh, you know, I started smoking cigarettes when I was seven years old because the babysitters used to leave those with me. And as I was sharing with uh, Rob, my new friend in OA, uh, uh, you know, I, some of those babysitters started to inappropriately touch me. And um, eventually it became very confusing for me because part of that felt good. And as a young child, seven, eight, nine years old, I had a lot of problems with that. And so I, I say often I had about three years of pretty hardcore child molestation and, and a lot of confusion about that and uh, wondering if I was gay or not and what was right or wrong and, and uh, you know, and as I shared with Rob earlier, I mean, I was 40 years sober, <laughs> I'm a real quick study in this program, 40 years sober, clean from alcohol and drugs, accident program, till dawn in me that, gee, maybe most gay people are not child molesters. I mean, that is where, how my head narrowed in on and and I had less problems with them and, and black people and all the other prejudices I had. But um, with women, it was terrible. I mean, I just had this, this terrible male chauvinism. My mother walked in 
in the shadow of my father's uh, my father's uh, footsteps, and uh, so I grew up with that. And uh, you know, I, I I think I was 30 years sober when the uh, you know, and I had four kids at one time. I was married 23 and a half years. And my wife had had cancer about five years at that point. She was down for the final count, and the women. She was very active in the community and and, and a great woman. And uh, but of course, I couldn't appreciate how wonderful she was. But you know, until the last, uh, I used to argue with her over everything. I mean, it was important stuff like which way the toilet paper would roll and things like that. But as you can understand, you know, it's really important. You know, at that point in my in my sobriety, I mean, in my sobriety, uh, I cherry picked a lot of the program. So nine years old. Uh, I had my first drink of wine and uh, Passover service, and then um, you know, always overeating in between, and uh, started drinking. At Twelve years old, getting into drugs, and uh, fifteen to sixteen and a half, uh, went to other planets with alcohol and drugs, and uh, sixteen and a half to nineteen, um, tried all these different ways. In the sixties, there were a lot of movements on the streets, and there was you know you had the Nichiren Shoshu of America on one corner, and you had the uh, you know I was depending on what period it was in my life, I wanted to be a hippie or and then there was, uh, you know, another corner they had what was called the Jesus Freaks, now born-again Christians, right, to more say it nicely. But, you know, we had that on that corner. One night, you know, I was Jewish and fully bar mitzvah. One night, I turned my wheel my life over to Jesus. And I spent six to nine months figuring, trying to figure out if I was Jewish or Christian. And all in between, okay, and all in between this uh, drinking, using, overeating, going up and down on my weight, I got into super exercise became very strong and, and, and got in karate and all kinds of stuff. All these things trying to improve myself and trying to find a path and trying to work on that inside, which, you know, I'm, as I remember, sometimes I used to come off alcohol and drugs and I'd feel so dirty and I'd take a shower and I still felt dirty because I couldn't clean the inside out. And, you know, it took the 12 steps of the program to do that. Uh, and there, and I was very active and I still am active in the program uh, in AA and, and, and but I came to OA as my first meeting. I went to an AA meeting. I was about uh, 19, 18 and a half years old. And then, uh, like about 48 years ago, I went to my first OA meeting. I was in and out for about four months. You guys were talking Chinese, uh, uh, just a different language. I couldn't understand what you were talking about. And then I got sober. I was sober five years, very involved, major inventories, um, working all the steps, practicing these principles in the meetings in all my affairs and outside the meeting and none of my affairs, cherry-picking the program the way I wanted to pick it. And, uh, you know, when I met my wife, I mean, she was head over heels with me. I was six years sober, and we, I met her in OA and lost my 45 pounds. And at that time, that's how overweight I was. And uh, I'm only I'm only five foot five, four and a half. And uh, so to get up to 190 was a lot. And uh, I was doing great. But, uh, you know, I remember this one guy saying to me, and he was in AA also and in and, and, and an OA, and, and he said, you know, you just think you know everything. And I thought to myself, yeah, I do. I got this down, and I had this down. I knew so much, I knew my way right back out the doors. But as I like to say often in, 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 in OA meetings, I, I wasn't as sick as any of you. It only took me 32 years to come back, 32 years. I'm not talking about slipping in and out of OA for 30 years and coming back and getting it. I'm talking 32 years of hating your people's guts, 32 years I wasn't going to be abstain, screw you, hate you. And my wife and I had, had a, as good a relationship as we could with a workaholic. And, you know, she would tell me things like, you know, you got to spend more time with your kids. And I wouldn't listen. And uh, my AA sponsor, he, I had him for 39 years till he died uh, about four years ago. And uh, he'd tell me, Johnny, go home, do the dishes. You know, do this, do that. But, you know, that male chauvinistic person, I couldn't do that. 
And as a result of all that behavior, uh, I held on to things. And other areas I excelled in, but, you know, in relationships, I was, you know, crappy. And it affected my work and every, everything else. And um, long story short, my wife died about 16 years ago. And about uh, about about a little over 10 years ago, uh, I was going to the Amen Stag. And after the meeting, um, we'd go out to dinner with the guys at Poquito Moss. And, uh, you know, I said to my friend, I was talking, I knew him for many years, 20 years, Michael, I said, man, you're really eating healthy. And he, long story short, is he 12-stepped me in that program. And, and as we were walking out in that parking lot from Pequeno Moss, I was willing to crawl through 50 yards of broken glass to call my food in that man. I'll tell you that for sure. And all that stuff of holding back, that was gone. And he said, just give me a call tomorrow. Commit, you know, he didn't even tell me to commit my food. He said, tell me what you ate yesterday and be rigorously honest about it. And I started to do that one day at a time. And, then after a, you know, a week, you said you got to have a committed meeting, just like you do in AA. you got to have commitments at the meetings, and you start got to start going and keep calling me every day. And little by little, you start adding to my program. And he was sober, and uh, he was sober 20 years. I have 17 more years than him, and somebody I used to try to pull rank on him. And he said, Jonathan, the units are not transferable. Because I can tell you for sure that if I could abstain from compulsory eating and lose my weight, Without having to be in another program, I would do do that. You have a different speaker today, but I'll tell you what. You know, when I came back, I was having four to five chest pains a day, seven days a week for about the last year and a half before I got absent again. I had that high high blood pressure, those diabetic sugar levels at 185, and uh, you know, I was dying from overeating, and and my weight had gone as high as 243, which is about 90 pounds overweight for me, and. Uh, Coming back to you guys has been a life-saving grace because I started to get a little more honest because, you know, I, where I used to think, well, I, uh, I'm going to drink or use or something like that, I'm not going to do that, so I'll overeat. And doing that prevented me from uh, having any growth in this program. And I'd be coming off that sugar in the morning and that horrible, nasty SOB I'd be to my kids and wife and all that. And uh, so little by little, I'm still not the nicest guy in town, but I'm, I'm learning to be a little bit better. And, um, you know, when those Five women... More minutes? How many more? Uh, five more Five more minutes. So when the women were rubbing her legs, they took, they somehow God did for me what he couldn't, what I could not do for myself. And he removed a lot of that male chauvinism, that mean nastiness that I had with women. And, and I didn't try to be that way, but I could tell. I remember this one time I was criticizing this girl about, at work about the way she was dressing. Well, you know, in this day of all the HR stuff, as most of you know, that you, I, it's none of my business how people dress. I made this poor girl cry because I was such a son of a bitch. And, you know, it's just, that's just not the way to work this program. You know, and this program is about helping others and not hurting people. And, you know, and to me, you know, I try to, I, I read the tools of recovery, one of them every day for the first year and a half of absence. I got committed meetings and I go to uh, regularly and, uh, and my life is so much better. I lost most of my weight. I gained about, about 15 or 20 pounds back over the last two years and i've been working on trying to lose that again because i had to look at that and say what am i you know not doing and, you know and in an aa in the back of the big book of alcoholics anonymous dependencies too there's this thing called a spiritual experience and talks about what that is and i recommend if you haven't read it you read that um but you know for me a spiritual experience is a change of attitude and how i look at things and it says here in the last two paragraphs we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. You know, 
willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. But these are indispensable. And then it says, and my sponsors all have all tried to teach me this, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. So, thank God I went back into OA again, and I've been 10 years and three months and 14 days of imperfect abstinence. You know, I haven't had my white sugar desserts or pizza or white sugar peanut butter for the 10 years and three months, but my food's not perfect. It's not clean all the, all the time. I, you know, there's times when I, when I, when I chip a little, and I'm not perfect about it, but, you know, because I'm honest with my sponsor and you people, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a BS person and say my food is perfect. I, I'm just not that person. When I was a gray sheet per, perfect person, I just never got it. Um, so today, you know, I come to meetings regularly. I go online, all these Zoom meetings. I, I was coming to start coming to the San Francisco meeting on Tuesday night about three or four months ago, I guess, because uh, I, I couldn't go to a regular Tuesday night meeting where I was going for a while. And, uh, you know, with Zoom, I've been going to a lot of meetings. And um, and I work full-time still. You know, I'm 66 and a half years old, soon to be 67. I, got, I have four beautiful children. My wife, God rest her soul. I mean, uh, I was like I was like a man complaining about 10 billion pounds of gold bullion on his front lawn, and the interest was a billion dollars a year, and I was complaining about the taxes on it. I mean, I just... To put it crudely, I mean, I, you know, I had a wonderful woman I was married to, but I couldn't see how wonderful she was, because as Chuck C used to say, you can't see it, you can see, you can't hear it, you can hear. So, but the last four years of her life, four and a half years, I stopped arguing with her, and, and then I was wondering why, why was I arguing, you know? And you know, I, it's so important for me. You know, my sponsor calls me on my my BS all the time, and he tells me when I'm arguing with him, and because and I'm, I'm being defensive with something, you know, I got to look at at me, not at you, okay? And, you know, what's more important? Is it more important for me to be comfortable or right? You know, I mean, I always want to be right. You're wrong, I'm right, and here's how it, it is. And every time I get in those discussions, in the program, at work, with my kids, anywhere else, I'm always on the wrong side of things. You know, it doesn't matter how, how right you are. And my late A sponsor used to make me apologize to my wife all the time. He used to say, John, I'm not saying that, that, that you're right, you're wrong necessarily, but your reaction is wrong. And it was. My reactions were terrible. So one day at a time, I've been trying to work my way out of those. And, you know, the biggest, most important thing I can do is, is what? Just to shut my big, fat mouth. I don't have to be right with everything. It's my house. I, but I have two adult kids living here. But telling them what to do because it's my house and enforcing my rights and all that BS. I'm not saying i got to be a doormat, but if i got to walk away to avoid arguing, go in my bedroom and close the door, and One minute. That's better than trying to insist on my right to be right. My rights got me where I, where all the trouble I got into. When I first got sober, my late, um, my, well, my AA sponsor at that time, he was my sponsor for three years, um, told me, you know, when we come in these rooms, we give up our rights to be right, you know, and we give up our rights. And he was right about that. I cannot insist on that stuff. So I'm grateful to God to be here. I thank uh, Nancy for taking a chance on me again, having me speak, um, and uh, it was nice talking to you, Rob, and, and I'm very grateful to be here, and thank you guys for my life.